and now it stinks. It stinks like my foot. Ew, I don't want to smell my feet. Ew, now Gross, your feet. Cheech. Now your hands are going to smell my, like my feet. It smells good. It actually does. Your hands are going to smell like my armpits. Oh, you're right. Oh. Your armpit smells worse than my feet. All right, girls. Mama's waiting for you. <laughs> smell. smell my finger. Smell my finger. <laughs> 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 okay. Smell my. Ew. Smells like my foot. You know what I just realized? This mm. guy. That I shipped the leftover stuff to. Haven't heard a word He's from a ghost. Him. No, thank you. No, got it. No, nothing. I got nothing in my headphones. You don't hear me? Nope. You don't hear yourself? Nope. Do you hear this? Smell my fart. Really? Like, does my volume, can my volume be turned up? I heard it like. Smell my fart. It still sounds like. Maybe it's not plugged in. Smell my fart. It's plugged into the wrong one. There we go. I'm back. Back in business. How much were you recording? One minute. 58 seconds mm. two minutes yeah so it's like so now i'm convinced that was just an hbo guy trying to get their stuff back yeah right are you gonna message him no what am i supposed to be like where's my thank you yeah <laughs> you're, you're supposed to be like hey did you get the stuff well i can see that he got it because i sent a tracking number it says delivered well, you can just follow up still and see if he goes like, oh, yeah, hey, thanks, man. Or if it goes um, to to your mailer demon. Mm -hmm. Like the email address doesn't even exist anymore. That's what I'm saying. It's not a bad idea. I got a few. For once. Yeah. <laughs> we need to put that as a drop. You saying not a bad <laughs> idea about one of my ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm getting this thing started. Yep. Per, I was, per use. I was driving over and there's one thing that happens in a car then infuriates me the most. Uh -huh. It's probably somebody cutting me off and not acknowledging it. Really? Like, just give me the hand wave. Right. Stick your hand up. I'm sorry. Or be like, thank you. Mm -hmm. When I slow down that that's it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that like will just get me matter mm -hmm. and i don't think there is see what makes me mad is kind of the opposite of that is when you let purposefully let someone in and then they don't know that yeah that's what i'm saying like 
the the non hand acknowledgement right. is by far the worst yeah. traffic crime. And what I've commit. noticed is that happens a lot around here. Okay, that is the norm. Happens all the time. So I'm driving, big diesel truck comes screaming up on my left and the road's about to branch off and he gets in front of me, mm-hmm. which is another thing, which is like, if it's open behind me, just slot in behind me. Right. Right. If you have to make the person slow down because you went in their lane, right. then you should have let them go ahead of you and then gotten over. If there's no one behind them. So he does that. His window is down and he gives me a side hand side peace sign. (laughs) And it was, I've never been madder. (laughs) It was worse than the. And was it like real? Like it wasn't loose, right? It wasn't loose. Like it was like, boom, pot. Thanks bro. Yeah. Like, you know, he was like, yeah, yeah. Purposeful. Mm-hmm. That hurts my wrist. Yeah. And uh, and then I don't have AC, so I got to ride behind a big diesel truck spewing mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. He was also one of those guys that would like coast and then gas mm-hmm. and like wouldn't use his brake. And so you, you could tell like he enjoys looking in the rearview mirror every time he hits the gas and seeing a big like cloud of black smoke (laughs) like that. That's what he gets off on, you know? And so that's what I got to ride behind. But that, mm, that side Mm -hmm. peace sign. (sighs) I wish you would flicked me off. Yeah. I hear you. My dad used to do that. Um, He would flick people off. No, he would, um, he would always walk around and just flick everybody <laughs> <right>. off. <laughs> he would coast up to like, thank you. He would coast up to like a red light or something, but like, I mean, like he's like half a mile away. Right. And he just doesn't press the gas anymore. And he'd be like, it's red light. What am I going to do? <laughs> right, I'm not going to accelerate towards that red light. Actually, it wasn't paused. I just stopped it, and now we're doing a, another recording. Because <laughs> I guess you have to Good luck. press the button. You have to hold, hold it, it to pause. To pause. So I just made a little bit more work for myself. <laughs> well, I want that anecdote. It's It'll be in there. Don't worry. All right. As, as its own podcast episode. Can hear, hear what? No, it was, wasn't recording while you were there. Now it is recording. So now we did hear you. Great. No, it, no, no, but no, that won't be heard either. Oh. They'll just hear us talking to somebody off of the. I can never find my Google Docs. Yeah, because you've got like 500 apps on your phone. Listen, I just wanted to make a little <laughs> statement. I didn't need a, a lecture. I'm just saying you have way too many apps on your phone. How many apps do you have on your phone? I have enough that are contained all on the home screen. You have way too few apps. No, I on don't. Your phone. 
Nope. There's yeah, not do. anything that I cannot do with my on my phone that I need to do. How much space is on your Xbox hard drive? Well, I only play one game, really, so that's all I need. I need enough for Destiny. I need enough for the occasional Apex game, and I need enough for the even less occasional PUBG right. game. Basically, if PUBG, if PUBG, if Xbox, if Microsoft released a like 586 megabyte hard drive, that's what you would buy. <laughs> right. You're like, I don't need this whole gig of information of uh, data. Right. I, I just need enough to run uh, Destiny. Yeah. But that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, listen, you got to a point on your old phone where you literally could not receive pictures from other people because there weren't enough, there wasn't enough space on your phone and you had no idea why. Someone would just send a picture and it'd just be like a, a little image of a question mark or whatever it was. <laughs> and it was because you had literally no space on your phone. And why do I feel like my life has gotten worse since then? <laughs> I'm just saying though you could have used those pictures way more than the random app that you downloaded one time to do one thing that you've never touched again. I don't know. You never know when you're going to do that one thing again. And when you do, you just download it from the app store. I like that you and I did the exact same hand motion and face <laughs> facial expression. Um, so I figured, I figured we would start with um, Keith's board game corner. All right. Better use than than last <laughs> times. I'll give you that much. Uh, just returned from a week vacation, right? With extended family. Uh huh. Big winners were Decrypto and Azul. Yeah, yeah. Julia, we played Azul with Julia, but she loved it. Yeah, I think Azul, Azul is surprisingly like the the most success I've had with a game. My seventy year old mother loves Azul. Everybody who played it loves it. And then we played it again and introduced it to a whole new round of people and they all loved it. Yeah. Elise hates board games. Mm -hmm. She loves Azul. Um, what is it? What is it about Azul? It's just simple. There's not really anything you have to keep track of. It's not like overly complicated. You know what I mean? Like welcome to once you've played it a couple times and once you start playing it, it makes a lot of sense. It's very simple, but getting to that point is very complicated. It's very abstract. I think that's what I like. I think what I've realized in watching all the board game content, there are people who like, they're like, I love games and they will review like a million little card games. I'm like, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. I can't imagine having like 20 different versions of like, here's a trick taking game. Here's another like pass out the cards. And then we're all trying to build a set of something or whatever. Like, I don't want that. Like, I would rather just simply play like Azul, like a quick game that has some depth, but some more components to it. 
than I would a hundred like good card games. Yeah. Um, and, and Azul, I think is, I think Azul, I think welcome Two, as well represents like we, we tried to get a little game going with you, me and bill of scythe, mm-hmm. which I told you, I think is my favorite game. That's in my collection. Mm-hmm. I've only ever played like a single player, but what I realized sitting down with you because I sat down and set it up and then you kind of sat down and I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll explain like as I'm setting up and number one, I realized how hard it is to teach a game. Like I think it's an impossible task to teach a game. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any like good or easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to have people be like, it's game time. And then you just have to sit down and be like, just start talking. Yeah. And eventually you'll start playing and then eventually everyone will click. It'll click, but you can't make it click in the telling. You know what I mean? There's only so much people can understand with you talking about something. Then when you're like, okay, now let's just start playing. Yeah. And you'll figure it out. Right. So with Scythe, I realized like there are very simple mechanics in Scythe, but there are like 10 of them. Mm -hmm. And each one is simple, but to understand and grasp them all, it takes like, you have to see it in action. And then it it, is like dominoes, right? It's like, just starts falling together. And you're like, oh, this is the game. Right. Like when I was teaching Azul, when I was teaching Welcome to when I was teaching a lot of games that we were playing when I was teaching Decrypto in, in Tennessee, it was like, I kept having to say this game is simpler than what you are imagining. Yeah. Like whatever your brain is doing, simplify it like two steps down. And that's literally what this game is doing. And that's the same thing with Scythe. And I realized like halfway through talking to you, I was like, I'm making no sense. Mm -hmm. This game is so simple and I can't, I can't, I can't explain it. Yeah. And I don't know at what point I just say, let's play. Yeah. Because then you always run into the problem where somebody goes, Oh, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah. And I couldn't have said that. Like, I remember when we played welcome Two in Tennessee, somebody was like, Oh, I didn't know that there were fences on the end of all these rows. Mm -hmm. It's like, Yeah. I mean, I read it. Maybe I didn't say it, but it's also one of those things that I wouldn't have ever thought to be like, Oh, by the way, remember Mm -hmm. those are completed fences. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I feel like that's one of the hard things with board games is, is always like the teach and the learning of it. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to teach it. Yeah. Nobody wants to learn it. Right. And everybody just wants to play it but you need to learn it to play it. Yeah. And so it's like on any new game, the first 10 minutes is always going to suck. Mm-hmm. Even easy games, even the Zool. Mm-hmm. And then 15 minutes later, people are like, oh, I love this. It's like, yeah. Yeah. You got to buy in a little bit. You got to buy in. You got with board games. You got to be like, let's do this. Uh, and so the other game that that went out was Decrypto, which I was sad we didn't get to play a big group game of here. Yeah. Um, 
I think I told you the story of my mom playing to crypto. Yes. Is that podcast worthy? Is that sure. up to, uh, okay. Um, so my, my favorite story out of my week long vacation that included two black bear sightings out in the wild, a bunch of touristy trap stuff, a hike was playing to crypto with my Graceland Dollywood. Graceland is not Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Okay, but it's in Tennessee. Anyway. I've been there to Graceland, to Graceland. Congratulations. If I had a sound drop, satirical <laughs> clapping. I've been to Graceland. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so <laughs> it's so cheap. It's just so cheap. So I was playing Decrypto with my family and I was on a team with my mother. And in Decrypto, you have four words uh, in front of you. It's not playing, I promise. That you, I see the light on. <laughs> the light's always on. Mm. This is what it looks like when it's on. Very bright. Okay. Um, so you have four words in front of you that you're trying to get your teammate to guess right in a particular order. And so one of our four words was dwarf. And so okay. you can, you know, you play these rounds and you're trying to like give clues to maybe the same word in different rounds, but you have to use a different clue. Mm -hmm. So anytime the word dwarf came up, my mom wrote clues. Like the first time was like mini. Okay, I got it. Uh, not, chart. Not the M word you were afraid of. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh -huh. I was like, okay, I got you. I know what you're getting at. And then we're on like round six. So, you know, words are running short. Descriptors mm -hmm. are running short. And my mother hands me like her written out three clues for the three words that I need to guess. And one of them is weird person. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't say that. And she's like, just looking at me, like kind of smiling. Uh -huh. You're not allowed to say anything, obviously, when you're give, going giving clues. I was like, I was like, mom, we're going to have a talk after this. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. Not even with family, right? So I put the, the, the words in, in order in the order that I am sure that they go. And the other team then gets to hear those clues. Right. So, so they get to hear the clues that my mother gave me and they get to compare those with the previous clues that were given and try and guess the order of the words. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they hear the clues and they hear weird person and then they erupt. They're like, mom, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't believe it. So they put the, the words in order and then comes the big reveal where the person who put out the clues tells you the correct order. Right. Mm -hmm. And my mom tells me and I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how did I get it wrong? And the one that I got wrong was weird person. 
And I looked and there's another one of our words that was square. <laughs> and my mother had put weird right. person to refer to a person who's a, a square. square. Right. And I was like, I can't, but I can't believe it. I can't believe that my mind. Also, that's not a good clue anyway. Right. For square. For square. Yeah, no, pr- probably not. Not a good clue. No. But also, my mom's just so innocent. Right. You know, she's so, she had no idea. She yeah. she didn't see the trap at all. Mm. I think even after we started laughing, she didn't really understand. Yeah, she had no idea. Yeah. She also, I was trying to get a little tricky and I wrote down, because you can do a phrase, you can do like a charade mm-hmm. as a clue. I tried to use a phrase instead of just using one word try and throw off the other team. So there was a word. One of our words was eyes. So I wrote as a clue window to the soul Mm -hmm. and gave it to my mom. Very poetic. And I used three, all three clues were all phrases. So I was trying to give her a hint of like, I'm now shifting into phrase mode. So Uh hopefully (laughs) that will help you unlock, right? Uh She was completely lost (laughs) and she ended up picking Peanut. (laughs) Window to the soul is referring to peanut. peanut. Uh, That's great. Yeah, she just looked at me in truck. She was like, I had no idea what you're talking about. For uh, Indiana Jones, she picked octopus. When another word was museum. I was like, if you see museum and somebody writes Indiana Jones, right? He's always saying like things belong in the museum. And she was like octopus. Yeah. Uh, octopus makes more sense than peanut. <laughs> peanut to the soul. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, of course, I asked to keep that. That's like one of those games where you keep some, and mm. then when you take it out in a year, you open it up, you're like, why did I sit? And then you see peanut, right. and you see <laughs> dwarf, and you're like, okay, I remember that. <laughs> um. So, yeah. That's my board game corner. Okay. Are you, you said that you're going to buy Azul, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I was going to say. Azul, great game, very fun, very nice pieces and artwork. Quality of the game is very good. $40 is a bit expensive. Is that what it's going for right yes. now? Where? Everywhere. Target, Amazon, the base price is $40. Actually, it's probably cheaper on Amazon. Yeah, I I got it from Target's buy one, get one sale. Right. And I remember I was like, this is a great sale. I don't have a lot of money. Right. But I want to take advantage of it. And I set my price at like $25. Mm-hmm. So it was Sagrada, Hive, and Azul. Mm-hmm. And I got Hive and Azul. But it was like $27. Yeah. It may have been on sale then. Yeah. But yeah, it, like if we wanted to go to Amazon or to Target right now and buy it and play it tonight, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would be $40. But, oh, and also Target is, I think, the only like store that actually carries it, sells it. Yeah. There's a um, website I found. 
I don't know if this is like a good website, but it seems good. Called boardgameprices.com. Uh-huh. Have you been to it? No. They will So you can type in any game. Yeah. And it will search like oh, all right, right, right. Yeah. websites and um give you like ooh. Yeah, if you don't want to use Amazon, it's twenty two dollars right now on Amazon. on Amazon, yeah. Uh but there's Card House, which is like a I think it's a board game store. Um they yeah, usually have, I've heard of Card House. Yeah, and then there's Game Nerds and Miniature Market. Ooh, Walmart for twenty three dollars. For Azul? Yeah. Oh, see, I thought Target was the only place that sold it. Well, yeah, I'll look into it. Or maybe in store. Right. Like, like this could just be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because the thing about Amazon is like. 23, 23. Yeah. It's just I owned a, a thing. Yeah. I owned you live. <laughs> you destroyed me. I destroyed you $40. <laughs> the only thing about it is like, you know, you have to wait. yeah it's it's better that i go on believing it's 40 dollars and never play it than buy it for 23 and wait two days i'm just saying so midsommar you know the worst part about this one is i can't stop it once it starts oh really yeah like the other ones I have set up. I can't breathe. Stop. No. Oh dear. I think she's actually hurt. No, I think the other ones I have set up. Put it on black. I set it up to where I could press the button and stop it. Put it on black. It's red. Hello, this is Chef John. But for some reason, I didn't do that. It just starts over. I can turn the volume down oh. until it's done playing, which will be in 10 minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I like the idea that we just check in on that to see when it's done. Just well, I think she's actually hurt. No, there. I think she Summer is yeah. mid summer. Oh, really quick to kind of transition us, which can I say also the freaking like go to joke on podcasts mainly of calling out your transitions? Yeah. It needs to like stop. Yeah. Like not like that's like the the out the window sideways peace sign. Sure. That's what that is. Yeah. And it's infuriating. It's uh-huh. it's not funny anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I've listened if I listen to any podcasts that do that, there was one. I can't remember what it was, but I don't listen to it anymore. And it doesn't matter how you do it. No. It's equally annoying. If you make a good transition, they go, oh, see what I did there? Right. Oh, or if you're like, oh, I got to find a transition. What if I, and then you just pull a random word mm-hmm. and then your co-host is supposed to go like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hate it so much. Yeah. So, about this transition. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so transitioning from board games to Midsommar, I do, do you, do you really feel like in this case, like we should say Midsummer? No. Okay. I mean, the director calls it Midsummer. 
I listened to an interview with him. Okay. Um, but he said technically it's pronounced it's pronounced like mid somer. Somer. See that that is the thing when when people like want to do like uh uh what's a word like a real reading of something, mm-hmm. but you know they're bastardizing it anyway, mm-hmm. and you're like yeah either just say midsummer, right? And in or, the movie they all say midsummer. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say midsummer then. Okay. So finally, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how long have we been talking about it? (laughs) Um, so I, at one point I kind of leaned over to you and I was like, I would totally play the board game of midsummer. Uh And I, I really, I've thought about it since then. I was like, I really truly would. Yeah. I would love to play a board game based on, specifically Ari Aster's interpretation of Midsummer, mm-hmm. like the pagan ritual. Right. Like I even see like the little um, wreath symbol thing that you would put uh-huh. at, like the center As of your the board. player token or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, then, I see. Yeah, yeah. And I would in like the different huts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like either, either I think it'd be something where the game would change, would have different, modules or modes of play but i was like i think it would have to be so maybe there's like a hidden roles element where maybe like a group of you are working to make the midsummer pagan ritual happen Mm -hmm. but one of you is secretly trying to like sabotage it like Mm -hmm. one of you is trying to stop the pagan ritual from happening so everybody's like pitching in for like that day, what they need to do, but then like something goes missing. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to like adjust to what is missing to make the ritual happen while also trying to find the interloper. So then you can sacrifice them at the end. Right. <laughs> I was like, that would be, that would probably be the standard game. Right. That would be the standard way that I would, and I would want to use all the assets of the film. But yeah, I was like, you could also do one where it's like, you don't have enough crops and things to pull off the ritual. And now it's coming and you need to make it happen. Yeah. Or you will like piss off the God. I f- right. I forget the yeah. God they're worshiping. Yeah. You could have the, the, ver- the horror where the, her- the version where you play the Horgus, right? And you're trying to make the ritual happen. And then you have one person who's like the um, saboteur who's trying to stop it from happening. And then you can have the other version where you're all trying to escape. And then there's one person who's actually trying to sacrifice everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, like, because you have the person who, like, brought the, like, you're all outsiders. Yeah. But maybe even one of your outsiders is, is a plant right? right and trying to prevent you so they're sabotaging things and you know yeah so i was like i was like i would i would totally play that sure. i would love to play like a, it got me back into like researching cordial minuet and stuff yeah um just because i was thinking about and thinking about like ritual pagan games and all that stuff um i found out what my coin is oh really yeah it represents a specific demon Mm, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's what I found out. 
<laughs> so it's like the symbols all represent this, like each coin is a different demon. Uh-huh. And then there's like, it's what you would use to like summon right. the demon. And yours is the demon of? That I didn't get to. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I got too spooked and then I stopped. Right. <laughs> I know too much now. Yeah. Uh, but it does have, the movie itself does have a, um, I think like a handmade quality that I think yeah. would lend itself to the board game aesthetic. But, and even at one point, uh, you leaned over and was like, this is like a Wes Anderson horror movie, mm-hmm. which is w- what I was thinking too. And there was like always those rumors of like, oh, Wes Anderson's going to make a horror movie next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's going to make a horror movie next. And this, and that never happens, of course. But like this is what, I would expect those movies to be. Yeah. I, uh, my, my letterboxed review, I kind of took a, um, a meme and I said, my whole letterboxed review is just Wes Anderson, make a horror film. You coward. Uh, right. Because that's exactly what, like there's the, when Christian <clears throat> gets summoned to the head kind of priestess's house, Mm-hmm. and walks in mm-hmm. you have like all those runes and paintings or like mm-hmm. the main building with like their Sistine Chapel right. and like all the stuff on the side yeah. like yeah you can't get away from feeling like somebody took the time to design and execute all of this mm-hmm. and it just adds something indescribable to the feel of the horror film right like gives it that tactile feeling that in a lot of modern horror, which is just CGI and just like, we don't really care about the setting. We're just going to make it dark. Mm-hmm. And then the ghost is going to jump out or we're just going to spend a lot to make it look scary. Right. But it's all computer graphics and, and it misses that whole setting, right? The environment. And in midsummer, it's like, I would say a good part of the horror is the setting Mm -hmm. just like all the things like he always has something going on in the background. There are like a group of women around chanting Mm -hmm. or like praising something. And meanwhile, like the main characters are just like walking by. There's that scene where the British couple are like, can we look at that? And the guy's like, sure. And it just like pulls back and follows this like insane fairy tale of like a woman wooing Right. This person by like cutting her pubes and doing stuff that we see later on in the film. Right. Exactly. It's it, all it's, visual. Right. It's and, basically oh. a storyboard for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's so Which good. you kind of, which you know it is, that's what it is, but you still don't know enough to know like what it actually means. And it, to me, I think that that really reflects a lot on the whole overall film. Like the, the, um, the panels in and of themselves are also like really funny. Like clearly mm-hmm. the person drawing them understands what, like the ridiculousness of the story being told mm-hmm. and knows like, like we both laughed at the like spiraled eyed. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. lover who like ate the, the magic pie right. and is now in love with the other person. It's just like, it's really funny. And I think Ari Aster knows 
what is ridiculous and how to make it funny. Right. While also making the whole thing feel real enough to be scary. Right. Well, it, it's but while being completely serious. Right. Like at no point is it joking around, but there is still especially f- at the end. F- yeah. Funny stuff happening. Like the old man who decides to it's smart for him to jump off a cliff and land on his feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah. I mean, you saw what, what the lady did. Maybe, <laughs> maybe follow her. This isn't the time to switch it up yeah. and be like, ah, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> right. And he also kind of misses the rock. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just bungled the whole thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I listened to um, an interview with him. I've, I watched a couple videos on YouTube of like all the different connections throughout the movie, what all the runes and all that stuff stands for. And it is, like you said, it is. it, it, it gives like apparently all the artwork and stuff was done by one guy uh, who painted like all that stuff, the inside of the building and like um all of their articles of clothing are specifically made for each person in the village and they all have specific runes on them and it's just as like gives it this it does it gives this this feeling of like i don't know like you said like if this was like any other horror movie it, they just like scratch a couple of symbols into the walls and like be done with it you mm-hmm. know what i mean so it but it does give you this sense of like walking away from it of like like all of this stuff maybe doesn't necessarily exist right like out there in the world but it has a very specific meaning and it like makes you want to know more about the movie yeah yeah and it it feels like it can support that like there are some movies here like if i explore this i feel like it'll crumble yeah or there's not enough there but on this there's like yeah, there's runes. Like, yeah, you could just spend you know hours being like, "Where are the runes? What does this mean? What does that mean?" And and exploring the film from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. Or like, even what is the order of the ritual? Like, I love that scene too, where um, the guy who brought them—I uh, forget his name—Pell, Pell, where he's like all right, get, get some sleep. Tomorrow's a big day. And he mentions what the festival day is. Right. And the other guy, Josh, Josh, right. Like his eyes kind of go big. And then Christian and Danny are like, what, what is it? He's like, I'm not telling you, right. You know, but he knows. And you're like, yeah, it gives you that feeling of like, I want to know, I want to know too. And I want to know like how you read, which is why, when I was thinking about like, again, just the joke of like playing the board game of midsummer, I was like, you could probably do a board game of midsummer, but it would be be based on like the traditions of whatever you looked into. It wouldn't be this version of midsummer. Like this is Ari Aster's version of midsummer and of the traditions. And there's something about his take that, I find intriguing and, and I want to explore more, you know, more than just the general rules, which is also referenced in the film when Josh uh, is talking to an elder and the elder's like, yeah, we do this thing. He's like, oh, the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 do that too. And right. like the elder's just like, 
Okay. Like he's totally not interested. <laughs> right. Because he's like, he's not interested in other people's traditions. He's yeah. interested in their tradition right. of Midsummer. Well, what's interesting about that too, with that specific character, Josh, is that that thing that they mention is a ritualistic suicide. <laughs> like <laughs> that's literally what it is. Um, and so that's like obviously like a big moment in the movie. Um, and he's like, I mean, you know, looking back on it now, he's not like worried about it. You know right. what I mean? Like he knows that's what's going, he kind of like knows what they're getting into. And that's actually something that I thought that the movie did very well is that like going into it. I think if you've seen any number of these movies or if you kind of, even if you don't know what you're going to see, I think like the setup is enough that like, you know, what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't really need to be a genius to figure that out, <laughs> but it does a really good job of kind of keeping you calm along the way. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as that moment happened, I'm thinking to myself, right? Like there's this moment where the, where the two elderly couple, the two oldest, the oldest couple in the village or whatever, throw themselves off a cliff, commit suicide, right? As part of this ritual to sort of like quick, quick interjection. <clears throat> I was thinking about this because they mentioned like it's 72. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Danny's like, what happened to 72? And mm -hmm. Pell makes the, joke of like well, mm -hmm. those two looked like 72 right they, they looked old but i also found myself looking in the crowd being like oh yeah wait that guy's older yeah <laughs> like wait there's a there's, lot of 72 year older. olds around here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, these aren't the only two but anyway yeah. anyway go on yeah there's gonna be a lot of people thrown off this cliff <laughs> um in a year in six months time <laughs> yeah but i thought it did a really good job like as soon as it happens and then you see like you said the guy for some reason decides to like try and break his fall with his legs. <laughs> and then of course he gets his head smashed in with a mallet, um, which is crazy. Right. And the whole thing is very graphic and very gruesome. And I'm thinking like, there's no way at this point, like I'm gone, obviously. Right. Like there's I'm no way you stick around. Um, but then they go through and they're like, you know, give their explanation. Like this is a part of our culture. This is a ritual. You know, we believe we don't believe in sort of letting our lives go to a point to where we lose uh, function. function. She's like, it's, it harms like the spirit. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and we believe that, you know, this is sort of us continuing the circle of life. And they're like, you know, that unborn baby over there is going to take the name of one of the people who've passed and, and the, it the guy who got his mallet, right. his head smashed it's, in my mouth. Right. Yeah. But it did a really good job of, of, of me being like, okay, that makes sense. And then mm -hmm. if you also think like, okay, well, there's supposed to be um, anthropologists or like they're studying to be anthropologists at mm -hmm. least. So, you know, it makes sense. That they'd want to sort of like try and figure this out, get as much exposure as they can. Um, and so I, I thought it, did a very good job of handling that like as long as it possibly could and not being and not really having a moment of you being like this is like these characters are just 
acting completely like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, and they e- even still do have those characters who are like, I'm out of here. Like, this is too much for me. Right. right. And they get, you know, disposed of, which one of the things I was reading on the subreddit, um, or on Reddit, I guess afterwards is some people were upset that not all of the deaths were on screen. Did that bother you at all? Like, um, Simon and Connie, but even like Mark, you don't see Mark get killed. Mm -hmm. Um, who else? I mean, you get to see Josh killed more or less. Yeah. I feel like, well, I I feel like every, every killing is signposted. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I know what's happening to them. Right. Why, why do I need to see them get bashed over the head? Yeah. Cause that's how almost all of them are killed. Yeah. Um, like Josh, well, I mean, Mark gets his face cut off. Like jo- <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Skin the fool, right? He's yep. The fool. Skin the fool. And then, um, yeah, that was, that was disturbing. Yeah. But I mean, you still see it in one right. way or the other. Yeah. Did that bother you? No. No, I, you know, there's, and there's some, I think, but I think there's something to, because there's always that, you know, there's the line of thinking of like, like obviously the like really gross out stuff really bothers me. I don't like looking at it. And when I think about that, I think about like, um, that stuff like being like drawn out, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Whereas in, Midsummer, there's a lot of really gruesome stuff, but I feel like it kind of happens and it's over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's definitely there's like cuts to it and then cuts away. Um, but I will say there's always that argument of like, oh, well, I don't like to show it because when you don't show it, the imagination Right, takes I over. I no longer agree with that because I don't know if I will ever get the image of that woman's face flapping off of her head when, when she, she smashes into the, the rocks <laughs> and her entire face <laughs> just like opens like a book off of her head. <laughs> I don't think I will You're ever forget right. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like imagination is the best uh, painter uh, unless you can get a human face to look like it peels open (laughs) like a book, then imagination can take a back seat. Right. Everything else. Imagination is imagination is good for the jaw shark, you know? (laughs) Right. Not for right. Exactly. When you have an animatronic animatronic shark, that's like, yeah, maybe you don't want to look too closely at this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That one other thing that it made me think about is this is, this is a total side note. And then I want to get back to like the content of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also was, was left thinking about like drug use, how drug use was, was used in the film. Yeah. Which is like open, like they're they're all open. There's not a question of like, Hey, like even Danny, you know, it's like, are we going to take this? It's like, Hey, I just want to center myself, but yeah, I'm in on this, you Mm -hmm. know? And it just made me feel like, again, like looking at who they are, anthropologists and, you know, where they're at, Mm -hmm. it made me think of that, um, that satirical, 
um, clip I showed you from, I think it's Brass Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the guy who made Four Lions in a movie that's coming out again soon. Um, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's like a political satirist mm-hmm. in the UK. And he has like, a, he plays like a news anchor. And there's a scene of him like using heroin. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> that's me using heroin. I could be in trouble, except thanks to my breeding, my socioeconomic status, and my education, I'm not in danger of becoming an addict. Yeah. I use it recreationally like once every <laughs> month. Right. You know, I shoot up. Yeah. And he's like, I wouldn't recommend this for minority groups and like people who are, <laughs> you know, and there is something to that where, when I like, even when I listen to like whatever it is, like the Chapo guys or whoever talk about drug use, there is an aspect of it where it's like, as a wealthy white, like educated person, I'm ready for mushrooms. Mm-hmm. But don't anybody else like mm-hmm. bother taking these? You could be in danger. Yeah. But it's like, did you get the sense that this was like in any way a cautionary tale against like the use of psychedelics and things or do you think it was um like agnostic about it just like this is how that that um that cult would would utilize or this community would utilize it or do you think there's any moralizing at all or any statement on on drugs no i mean i um I saw it more as like a, just kind of a plot device. Right. So, and I thought that I guess the way I'm approaching watching a movie is like making sure that everything sort of like fits together together. and makes sense. So I saw it more as like, once you, like I was saying earlier, I feel like once you reach that point of like, this is obviously not something that any rationally thinking person would do, right? Like walk into a weird church commune building and have sex in front of all these naked people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or, uh, choose to burn their boyfriend alive. You, they bring in that, that element of the drug use um to sort of like push them over that edge mm-hmm. which makes sense yeah but it's also been introduced earlier in the movie in sort of a uh and not such a like uh what's the word I'm looking for taboo like a well not in in like not such a like uh I can't, I don't know what mm. the word I'm thinking, but it's just, it's kind of like a casual use. Right. Like this is just part of the thing. It, it's, it's like non-consequential, non-consequential whatsoever. Really. It just more or less feels like this is just something these people do. Right. It's not you know viewed I mean? as like uh right. It's not a plot. It's not a plot point device at the moment, but later on, whereas if you'd gone all the way through that movie and then all of a sudden it's like, we're going to make you do something that we know you're not going to willingly do. Well, we'll just drug you. It would, to me, it would feel like it's kind of like cheap, right? Cause that's yeah. like out of nowhere. It's, right. It's like you need him to do this thing 
and you couldn't think of a good way to do it, so you just drugged him up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, yeah, like a like a spike drink at the very end. Yeah, exactly. It's like, surprise, we're right. crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I really like, I feel like, I guess my, my reaction, and in, in, this is just personal to me. I don't think this has anything to do with the movie, which is why I think this is a total aside. But like, I realize I'm a product of like the Reagan era Mm-hmm. war on drugs just say no right. like my my attitudes have changed towards like you know marijuana and stuff like that you know um i had somebody who whose family member was like going through some harsh treatments and like medical marijuana helped better with their symptoms than the other drugs they were being prescribed mm-hmm. and it's like yeah that makes sense like yeah okay i'm i'm fine but when you get to like psychedelics you know Mm -hmm. that's that's where like my internal resistance like comes up sure like hardcore and i get terrified like i am terrified of drugs like that Uh and i think what i'm terrified of is like giving your control of like of your brain yeah and of your ability to process something over to anything. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't like that, you mm-hmm. know, but there is this aspect of like needing them to be open to the, you know, kind of persuasion of others. Mm-hmm. And you see that in like the little things that make sense. Like, Hey, this is like just what we do. The, they offered themselves, this is part of the ritual, this is beautiful, to like now follow the roses to your, you know, kind of consummation yeah. shack right. and accept this. Like yeah. there's that gradual kind of like, you know, directing and control of people that is introduced through like the drug use mm-hmm. that helps explain, like you said. Yeah. But it just reinforced to me like, yeah, I, I don't care if I'm in a padded cell <laughs> with all my friends and there's like calm sitar music playing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever be able to like eat a mushroom and be like, yeah. hey, it'll be a good trip. I, I just. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't interest me either. But I do think um, that they did a good job. And I think talking about it now, it's interesting the contrast between the two where Danny and Christian are both drinking the same thing right towards the end of the movie. And Danny is sort of getting it as like, she's getting further, um, sort of further ingrained in the culture and further, um, like she's like deepening her experience by doing it. And Christian, you can tell like he doesn't want to do it. He knows the outcome's going to be bad but it's almost like he knows that if he doesn't drink it, it's going to be even worse. Even worse. So he's like, all right, I'll just do it. You know what I mean? Um, Chris Morris is the satirist I was trying to think of. Okay. Yeah. Super funny. I've only seen clips of his show Mm because they're like from the UK, but I definitely want to watch all of his stuff. Yeah. Anyway. The, the other thing that stood out to me in the movie, I feel like there are two levels of like narrative going on. Number one is just the straight of like horror genre narrative. Mm-hmm. They're going to this commune. It's going to get messed up. If you've seen the wicker man, you kind of got it. 
That's that's what's going to happen. But then on top of it, and some people have, have called out like this grief narrative that didn't really stand out to me. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw a tweet that I, I didn't really like engage in. the familial in. grief? So yeah. Like so it being revisited or whatever? I saw, I saw this tweet that I didn't really agree with, but I didn't even want to pursue or think about very much. It was shared by somebody and it was like, Midsummer is like being mansplained grief to for two hours and whatever. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Grief, maybe. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. It, it has to do with grief, but I think it's more than that. Right. I think to me also, there's a relationship drama that's happening. Um, and a look at like a toxic relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and for me, like I, it was weird to see a lot of behaviors from Christian that I felt I could identify with. Yeah. That I found like kind of upsetting. Yep. And it's not maybe necessarily with how he treats Danny, but like specifically one scene that stands out to me is when he's telling his friends that he invited Danny on the trip, but Danny totally isn't coming. Right. But don't worry. Yeah. She's invited, but yep. she's not coming. And then like he goes to open the door for, her. he's like, by the way, you all know, and you all supported, and you know, <laughs> right. here she is. Yeah. And you all want her to come. Right. And you, and you all want her to yeah. come. And th- there is that, like that people pleasing kind of desire to also like passively avoid conflict. It's mm-hmm. not even like, I don't want conflict, but it's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do a head fake. Like, Hey, I addressed it. I told them, right? Yeah, I told everybody at the last possible moment, and I kind of rigged it to force people to, you know, kind of mm-hmm. deal with my decision, right? To to ultimately to make them the asshole if they go against it, even though I'm the asshole for putting them in that position, right? Yeah, and and this other idea that you're you're trying trying to please everybody, you're putting them in very hard positions, right? Right, because you're just like either pushing a decision away from you for as long as you can because you're trying to navigate both. But then also like the hard decision of, yeah, how do you like tell your girlfriend who's going through mm-hmm. the hardest time of her life? Like, yeah, I'm going, you need to stay. Right. See ya. Or your friends like, yeah, I'm not going to go with you on this trip that I really, really, really want to go on. You yeah. Know? Because of this relationship that, I don't really want to be in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I thought he did a really good job of handling all of the like interpersonal relationship stuff and, and like the relationship between Danny and Christian was handled really well. And I'm so on board with the movie and with how he handled those relationships that I'll even say because Mark is supposed to be like the um, comedic relief kind mm-hmm. of he's the fool, right? Who gets skinned. Um, and I would even say that I don't think he was like that particularly funny, mm-hmm. which I think is perfect for his character because people just aren't that super funny in real life. Right. I mean, which I think if that was in, if that were the case in like any other movie, 
I would call like total like you're just, like just making an excuse mm-hmm. you know what i mean but because i like this movie so much it, it works for me yeah well i i think it works too because it also shows like it did a really great job of showing the dilemma of the girlfriend who is outnumbered by a bunch of her boyfriend's guy friends mm-hmm. who also don't really have relationships and that need to come off as like the cool girl, Mm -hmm. the chill girl or whatever from the beginning where you have like Mark in the background on like a phone call being like, Hey Danny, Hey Danny, Hey Danny, Hey Danny, Hey Danny. Um, like he has to be that like not funny, annoying where you could kind of squint and see like in a guy's group, he'd be like, yeah, we put up with him and occasionally he hits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) he's constantly trying, but he's at like a a 18% like hit rate, but we can, we can put up with it. And, and he, he feels that it it just allows me to understand Danny's perspective more and more, Mm -hmm. like helps me access her perspective on all this. And you get that throughout, especially with, with Mark, like in the car, we're talking about like, why are women so much hotter here? And again, in a normal movie, yep. Panda Danny, she rolls her eyes. You're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. but in this movie, it just kind of subtly shows all of them. And then Danny just, changes the subject right and you remember the phone call and you're like yeah i don't like this you know like yeah. th- this guy right and he's forcing her in this position and it just helps you kind of again like see how they all link together affect each other yeah and it comes out with like a really identifiable picture yeah including when christian has to tell josh about his thesis mm-hmm. which again is something that i love where you're like comes up. He's like, Hey man, glad I got you alone. I just want to say, I'm going to write my thesis on this. And Josh is like, what? Like, yeah, I can't tell if you're joking or not, you know? Yeah. And Christian is like, for real, like, I don't know why you're upset. Right. Because again, he's addressing it. He's not like, he's not hiding from conflict, but right. he's rigged it to make, you know, Josh, look like the bad guy, the bad guy yeah. in, in, in all this and maintain his own kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm clean. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which again goes to like, he's in a toxic relationship with Danny, but the toxic relationship, like his abuse isn't even necessarily like active. It's just like passive. It's through mm. his, his lack of concern about her or awareness of her. So like he forgets her birthday, right? He's like not present for her when she needs him to be. And uh, again, like you said, like I thought that was just perfectly done. And mm-hmm. he managed to make Christian again, not just be unwatchable and hateable, but relatable in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I loved that aspect too. That was like, again, paralleling the, the actual genre horror stuff, which, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about the runtime. Like there's this, you know, kind of over three hour version that, you know, all movies start that way. It's not like every time you hear like there's a four hour version, that's what the director wanted. Mm -hmm. That's just like initial cut. That's just like, okay, here's everything like in the script and then let's make it work from there. Yeah. So it's not even saying, I don't think that Ari Aster's like, I want everyone to see a three hour 50 cut of this thing. All right. But there is one, there is one that he did that I think again, probably 
parallels those relationship things alongside the horror stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say after the movie was over, I said to you, I don't, I don't think this is a movie that you like. You know what I mean? Like it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's a really good movie, but I don't know if I would tell or say that I like this movie kind of like Requiem for a dream. Yeah. You know what I mean? But after spending more time thinking about it and then reading, there's a a ton of stuff on Reddit um, where people apparently read the original script and they're saying all of this stuff in the movie is so much more fleshed out in the script and like the dynamic between Josh and Christian is more fleshed out and it sort of makes the thesis thing a little bit more impactful and make more sense. And like the whole dynamic with uh, Mark and the ancient tree and all that is, is that, is that addition that you sent me. I, yeah, I do agree. That would have been amazing. Yeah. And so reading all of that and like, um, listening to the interviews I've listened to it. And, and then you sent me that text that was like the original cut was like three hours and 40 minutes. And my first thought was like, this movie felt long at like a little over two hours. I don't know if I could ever sit through, but after doing all that, I kind of want the three hour cut. Maybe, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. not three hour and 40 minutes, yeah. but three hours at least. I do want some of that stuff back. What, what, one of the, because like in the thing you sent me on the Reddit, which, which showed kind of three changes from the script to the film. Mm-hmm. It seems like the stuff that would be added is like relational stuff. Yeah. It's not like right. here's an hour or more people getting their heads bashed in. Yeah. It's like, no, here's a deeper understanding of why what Mark did to the ancestral tree is like Was horrifying to one guy. Right, to that one guy, yeah. And it totally makes more sense. Yeah. And even in the film like i can see why he would cut it because it saves so much time yeah if you had to go through like why he would break off a specific limb and then yeah the guy getting upset and then him being explained so we could understand what is actually going on like i could see it's like listen he pisses on it pisses and then the, the guy tree, gets the guy's mad and the, and the pissing is funny like it's a good yeah. it's a good shortcut but yeah. it is a shortcut and for that one guy to get pissed off and yeah nobody else now i think Ari Aster also gets away with that shortcut because immediately after Mark is killed. Right. So it's like, it's not that everyone else is okay. Yeah. They're just like, we got, we got this. Right. Like he'll suffer. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was good. But um, you could see in those editions, like the way that he writes his scripts are probably like way more detailed. Like you, you probably do have to be way more detailed detailed to get a film like what he has Mm -hmm. because every film seems to have shortcuts and compromises, but with a film that's less tactile and planned out. And and that's one thing you hear about this guy is like, he plans everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then you're going to get the shortcuts in films where you can totally identify them. Right. And and be like, Oh, something's missing. Mm -hmm. Right. In this, it's not like something's missing. Just like, oh, that was that works, but the real vision, yeah, would have like sung. Yeah. I wonder if he rec- I wonder if he like actually filmed, filmed those it. scenes. Yeah, I don't know. Or or if he just saw like we don't have time. This isn't gonna work. Yeah, that was and that was my one of my biggest problems with hereditary was that I felt like with 
Midsummer the the pace the pacing was so good in that with Hereditary it kind of feels like there's a lot of build up and then it gets real crazy the last 15 minutes. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in in Hereditary. But with this, it, I don't know, it just felt like a better it felt better paced. And there also felt like to me in Hereditary like there were way more big like jumps mm-hmm. in like story in the storyline mm-hmm. that kind of threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um whereas this it just and I think too a big a big thing that this has going for it is this is a horror movie that is like um it could be like a like days of heaven or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's bright, it's sunny, it's outside. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel cramped. There's no like jump scares. Like it just is a really nice movie to watch and outside of some of the gross stuff. Well, isn't that the thing, right? Isn't the whole thing that a three hour cut of hereditary makes you, you know what that film is Mm -hmm. and you know, the more that you would get would be more of that. Like just punishing darkness Whereas more of Midsummer you would get is like actually more interesting. And like you said, it's light, it's bright. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Again, it looks like a Wes Anderson film, like at times, yeah. um, like it makes you want more of that. Yeah. But with hereditary, you're like, oh, yeah. God, I can't imagine <laughs> being pummeled any more than I already am yeah. by that film. And so, yeah, I think that's the thing. And, and something that, I think people have responded to with Jordan Peele, even like get out us wasn't as successful, but is this like approaching genre with like humor or with a fresh eye on understanding what can make a story compelling and horrifying Mm -hmm. and what can just give you the, like jump scare the thrill or just be like, oh, yeah, that was your standard horror movie. Like I watched pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not good. It's yeah. not good. And it's like competently made, but what they're trying to do is just like, here's an expected scary movie yeah. that like, you know, and midsummer has so much more going on in it. And the horror again is in the setting. It's not even in horrible things happen but there's always more things going on to regulate it. Like you said, the ritual suicide and then the explanation after, Mm -hmm. and you're just kind of thrown off kilter and you're on board again. You're trying to understand you're in the shoes of the characters, right? You can understand them. So when they don't all run away, you kind of understand it. And when they are being influenced by drugs, it's been established. You don't feel like he's cheated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, one thing you mentioned earlier that I thought was interesting is is you said that to you that it was a movie about a toxic relationship. Mm. And in the interview I listened to, uh, Ari Aster said ultimately he thought the movie was a breakup movie. It's a movie about a breakup, mm-hmm. which is was not something I had thought about. And it had me kind of rethinking the whole thing. And he talks about how at the end is, you know, kind of symbolic of you know someone like burning all their possessions from a previous relationship obviously taken to an extreme 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, shoving onto a bear carcass. <laughs> right. Cutting their legs off, <laughs> putting them in a bear carcass, setting them on fire. Um, but yeah, that's that sort of changed my entire view of the movie. Like I said, I think going into the movies, I'm, I'm just kind of making sure that everything fits together. Mm-hmm. And I don't spend a lot of time thinking about like little larger themes. Um, right. So I thought that was real, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it like, again, it, it's, you know, for, for a horror film about grief, look at the Babadook, you know, yeah. and this has grief elements in it, but I don't understand it. And a lot of the vitriol that I've seen just from the people I follow against the film. Yeah. Just kind of boil it down to like a grief metaphor that they didn't like, or they thought was, overly simplistic and i'm like i don't know there is that in there she's dealing with grief but i also love the love the like i love how this movie ends Mm -hmm. i love the like orgiastic release of emotion Mm -hmm. like at the end i love the fact that they give the two tributes the like yew tree and they're like, exactly. take this and feel no pain. Take this and forget. <laughs> and they both start screaming when they get burned. And you realize like, then everybody like responds in that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that could very well have been manufactured to be like, we're going to give you just the, the, the promise of release while not giving it to you mm-hmm. so that we can all experience this like, cathartic release of all of our sorrow and emotion. And there's that scene where she sees Christian cheating on her and they take her to a room and they all just start like screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that in the trailer, like you said, this is a film that you can kind of anticipate where it's going. I'm watching them like, Oh, this is just like, she's in the height of the terror. They're all like screaming, like mocking her. And she's like, and then you watch and you're like, it's not that at all. Right. Yeah. Like this is her leading this. Like she's right. the, the, the queen of the ritual. And, um, this is her experiencing this like release mm-hmm. and breakup and like all this emotion, which includes grief, but which includes everything else that she's pent up from this toxic relationship and she's purging herself of mm-hmm. it. And it's such a, like a great, crazy like feeling because you you identify with that need for release but then also it's absolutely insane what they're doing exactly. it's absolutely nuts and Ari Aster's smart enough to know like that's what a horror movie can do is it can help you relate with elements of it while also being completely ridiculous and not want right. to relate at all with it you yeah. know and it's hilarious and and the 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 screaming is hilarious and it because yeah. it's because of all that stuff because the movie's so strange and so crazy and over the top and the stuff that's happening is so like dramatic you know what i mean uh, it remind me of the end of like ravenous right here's this like strange weird movie <laughs> that's like really gross and then the movie's ending and you get this one line at the end that's compl- that's like a complete joke joke you know what i mean yeah and that just works so well for me and the music yeah of ravenous yeah uh, and even the music of midsummer not not as like purposeful as ravenous but i remember the first time in 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 ravenous when my favorite all-time horror movies there's a there's a 
chase scene, like a climactic chase scene. It like goes to like yodeling folk music, like as this character is yeah. chasing this other character, trying to kill him and eat him. Eat him, yeah. And it's like it's so bizarre and crazy and hilarious. Yeah, oh, I love that movie. Yeah, and that moment in Midsummer just works so well for me because that it's the perfect moment for like any other movie to be like. Uh, obviously Christian can't do anything because he's paralyzed or whatever from the, from the drugs or the dust or whatever. And then the other guy, Pell's brother, who's like, you is like completely bought into it. He's like, he's like, yeah, like, like the, the, this, this is it, right? Self-serious. This is what I'm here for. And it cuts to the other guy who's like sitting there. And as soon as he catches on fire, he's just like, it's so funny and then it immediately cuts and then it just cuts back to the village and that's when they all start shouting as well and it's like you're right back into the craziness and the like seriousness but you still have that moment of like you know what i mean it to me it would have been in any other movie it would have been the two serious guys sitting there like look at how crazy these people are you know what i mean Mm -hmm. I, I I really liked it a lot. And Jack Rayner, who plays Christian, uh-huh. I also have to give props. Also, uh, Florence Pugh, who plays Danny, uh-huh. she was excellent. She was excellent. Amazing eye acting. Uh-huh. There there are specific scenes I want to go see it again so bad just to watch Jack Rayner. Like he, there's a moment where I think they're like about to put him in the bear carcass or whatever. Right. He's like paralyzed. Like his eyes get big (laughs) and he's just like, I think trying to signal like this is his character being like, Oh my God. (laughs) Like, and then he's in the bear costume and his eyes are just like big sitting in the bear costume. And it's just, it's so funny and bizarre and disturbing and everybody knows what they're doing in it. Yeah. And yeah, like Jack Rayner, especially when he's like drinking the the cup and getting ready to go consummate with this mm-hmm. woman. And then even when he's doing it, you see like his facial expressions when <laughs> yeah. when one of the ladies comes and cuffs the the girl's head and starts singing uh-huh. and you see his eyes like he's like, it's just great facial yeah. acting where yeah. it's like, he is conveying the insanity of this and it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I think the biggest thing he has working against him, and this is why I don't think he'll really be in any other, any other movie. He looks just like Seth Rogen, <laughs> right? Yeah. A little sharper he nose. Looks, right. He little, looks yeah. like Seth Rogen's less heavy younger brother, but he looks exactly like Seth Rogen. Yeah. I listened to a, an interview with him. He's like, he's a big like cinephile and oh really? Yeah, he like I think he wants to move into directing. So maybe that's, but he he like he knows a lot about film. Yeah. I liked I liked his interview. But yeah, man, Midsummer. Yeah, it was great. Good movie. Yeah, and I would I totally hope Criterion picks it up. Yeah, I totally hope Criterion does like an optional director. I hope Ari Aster like. I don't just want to see like deleted scenes. I'd love to see a cut. Like yeah. I'd love to see a compilation of how this would look together. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be a great commentary movie. Great commentary movie and a great board game movie. 
<laughs> if we can get our idea working. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, real quick. Literally, I think a great two second sign off. Okay. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Go. <laughs> um, I would not be surprised if nothing happens. I, I'm, I'm, I am on, uh, I have moved into LeBron James territory with my politics to where I know LeBron is almost 35 years old. I know he's like at some point just statistically speaking has got to start falling off, <laughs> but I'm not going to believe it will happen until it actually happens. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm th the same thing with politics. Like I'm not going to believe anything is going to change or get better until it actually does change yeah. or get better. Yeah. Uh, I'll just go on the record and say, I, I actually like stupid me. I feel like something's going to come out of this. Mm -hmm. I feel like it has to. Anyway, it definitely seems like it has to. I mean, if you look at like the people that are involved, you know, all that stuff. But as, <laughs> I mean, how many times have has have we looked at stuff like that over the past two years and be like, this has to be it, right? Like this is so obvious. Yeah. And it's just, you know. Yeah. We were like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was kind of like. It's it's interesting when you put it up against like there are border concentration camps and people yeah exactly like, exactly you know we're we're still like debating it right people aren't just like oh god like yeah. shut it all down like are you kidding me uh, and then Jeffrey Epstein comes out and you're like oh god but it's like yeah how many of these do we have to get until people are like yeah something is like at the core rotten. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. has been for decades. Right. This guy's been active for decades and they've, right. yeah. they've known it. Uh, you know, people in current high up positions have helped get him off. Right. Well, I mean, the the guy who got him off. Alex is Acosta. Like, yeah. Is working for the government. He's secretary of whatever. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's like there are literal concentration camps on our border with children, but. Hey, it's the 4th of July. Where are the fireworks at, right? Got to right. celebrate our country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, this Jeffrey Epstein guy. Uh, good thing, you know, have you seen the QAnon people try and take over this? No. <laughs> Thank God for Trump. He got Epstein. Oh, yes, I did see that. I think maybe on the Chapo subreddit. Where yeah, it's like, like you got to keep your, uh, your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> so Trump is the perfect person for this. Right. He yeah. knew the whole time. Right. There's a, what's his nutso name? A far right conservative nut job who is like, uh, you know, Epstein is, is a, uh, a paid mole to, mm. you know, kind of mm -hmm. get these, uh, like blackmailer. Like he's out to get like Clinton, the Clintons and, of and course. Stuff like right, that. Yeah. And you're like, Okay, buddy. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Put it on black. It's red. Ah! Actually, I had another one I wanted to play as our closing. Put it on black. It's red. I refuse to go along with this, and I've seen through all of your lies, Barack Obama, you wicked, wicked devil. Ah!
You know what the problem with that clip is? I don't know. I refuse to go along with this, and I'm seeing through all of your lies, Barack Obama, you wicked, wicked devil. Oh, the sound effects? Yeah. So, like, the original clip is just him saying this screaming. ridiculous thing and screaming, which is hilarious. Now they've all been turned into memes. Yeah. And the majority of them are, like, Dragon Ball memes. Right. So, like, when you hear the electricity, going that's him Saiyan. going Super Saiyan. I just want the original clip. I don't want all that stuff. I just want the... that's all i want but it like doesn't exist anymore it's all dragon ball stuff what a waste